And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. It's Thursday, that means your turn. You'll never guess what the questions and comments and ideas are about this week. from Toronto, where uh, the bridge is coming from on this day. I've got a speech here in Toronto today, virtual, but nevertheless, I have to be in Toronto to give it. Uh, But nothing interrupts the bridge. I'm actually looking over downtown Toronto today, and I've I've got a view of Queen's Park, the provincial legislature, and it's very quiet today. Not much happening. Why? Because the police have it zoned off. Their uh, intelligence suggested to them that there was the possibility of another protest here. There was one last weekend. It kind of tied things up all day, and then uh, and then they left. Unlike the Ottawa situation. But they left, and they're um, rumored, at least the police think, to maybe be coming back. And so they've closed off the area once again. And the main reason they've closed it off is, A, I guess to protect the provincial legislature, but because it's a main area of uh, driving in in the city, but also because of what's called Hospital Row. And I'm sure you've heard of this. The major hospitals in downtown Toronto are just south of Queen's Park on University Avenue. And uh, they don't want, trucks with horns and there have been a diesel fuel fumes around the hospitals. So that's the main reason they've got the, the area closed off. Work last weekend, and as of this moment at least, it's working here uh, today. All right, um, well, let's get to your letters. Most of them this week, as I hinted at uh, in the opening, are about the convoy, the protest, the occupation the truckers. I mean, there are so many different ways of describing what's going on. Um, It's a difficult situation, to say the least. We know the story in Ottawa well. Hasn't changed in two weeks. But the focus for a lot of people right now is about the Ambassador Bridge that spans uh, the Detroit River between uh, Windsor and Detroit. And it's a main, obviously, thoroughfare between Canada and the United States, and it's a huge part of the economy of both countries, especially Canada and southern Ontario, and especially in the auto industry. And because that bridge has basically been closed down because of the protests and all the trucks lined up on it, because of that, the impact on the auto industry has been huge. Some of the big plants, manufacture cars and trucks, has shut have shut down because there's nowhere they can move this stuff. And I think perhaps more importantly, the auto parts industry, which is the main driver of the Ontario economic engine, especially in southern Ontario, many of those smaller plants for parts have closed and therefore Thousands, tens of thousands of people are out of work as a result of the closure of that bridge. So governments and various uh, industry spokespeople are 
you know, are upset, demanding that the protest end. Uh, but they're not seemingly getting anywhere on that. Okay, let's get to your uh, your letters, as I said, but the majority are about this issue. And as always, you should know, I read all the letters that come in. A minority of those letters end up on the air. And of those letters that end up on the air, it's usually just a few sentences or a paragraph from the letter. And I know some of you... Uh, love to write <laughs> and uh, a lot of long letters come in and that's fine i'm just telling you the whole letter doesn't get on the air just a, a small part of it so let's start off i i do remind and i remind people every week please tell me where you're writing from just like i tell you every day where i'm doing the podcast from i wish you would tell me where you're writing from and the first letter from Connor Whalen doesn't do that, unfortunately. So we'll just have to kind of guess where he may be writing from. But Connor writes, what we have lost over this pandemic and on the demonstrations and the convoy, etc., is our ability to establish lines of communication for real discussions. Not the dumpster fire that is Twitter, but real debate face-to-face -face with an ability to disagree vehemently but still respect one another. I know this may not always be possible, but it has been a long time since we've been this far apart in being able to do that. We're all in part to blame. Some may argue others more than them, but we don't get past this by digging our heels in endlessly without at least a dialogue. You're right about that, Connor. Nothing uh, replaces a face-to-face -face talk. Honking horns doesn't replace that. Placards don't replace that. Screaming at each other across dividing lines doesn't replace that. Proper conversation, discussion, even debate does. And we're not seeing a lot of that right now. Robert Ong writes from Toronto. Do you believe we're going through the most politically tense moment in Canadian history since at least the 1995 Quebec independence referendum? You know, I don't think so. I think this is a difficult situation. Of that, there's no question. But the future of the country seemed to be at stake in 95 as it was in 1980. Earlier, the Oka crisis seem to be bordering on an all-out conflict between the army and Mohawk warriors in Oka over that dispute. That was tense. There's no question that was tense. But tense of a kind that bordered on whether or not it was going to turn real violent. So far in this situation, there have been lots of problems, lots of people upset, but it has not turned violent and hopefully it never will and that's one of the issues about trying to end this how you end it without it becoming violent and that's the issue around the various security forces that are involved Ian Hebblethwaite in Moncton, New Brunswick I've enjoyed all the analysis of the occupation 
the question I'd like to pose is this. Are the protesters not actually working against themselves now? What I mean by that is that they, the, the valid part of this, the request for a change in mandate has been loudly delivered, but the government is far less likely to change anything while the protest is ongoing. If they left with whatever influence that part had, it might be part of a catalyst for change. Well, it may be. Listen, <laughs> all these mandates are going to be dropped anyway, right? We all know that. They're eventually going to be dropped, and some have already started doing that. Not because of the truckers' protest, but because they think the time is up. Um, you can argue about that decision, and some uh, medical people are definitely making that argument now, saying it's too soon. Um I, you know, if I if I try to be one of the protesters for a moment and say when do I when do I pack this up, the fear of packing it up is once you've packed it up, you're not in the headlines. You're you're no you're not able to argue that you're forcing change, and that you'll basically be forgotten. You're yesterday's problem, and there's some truth to that. We all see that ourselves in our work you know when you have some issue that you want solved at work and you demand it and you're every day pushing for it and when there seems to be some resolution to it or you stop asking your your issue gets dropped off off the agenda you're just not a problem anymore you're replaced by other problems that would be the argument I think would play for some of those who are in the protest movement. Others are are delusional at this point. They think they've got everybody on their side because they have a few people cheering for them around their trucks and on overpasses when they drove into Ottawa. But every data point that we've seen so far would suggest the majority of Canadians, somewhere around two-thirds, are against these Protests and that number will climb in certain parts of the country. You can be sure in southern Ontario, people losing their jobs because of this. They're not happy. Uh, Deborah and Mike Draney. I don't see them uh, having written where they're uh, writing from. Anyway, we were dismayed when the organizers of the truck protest pivoted to the Christian crowdfunding platform Give, Send, Go and immediately raised millions of dollars. We hear it's up to $4 million now. Also, the Proud Boys used this platform to raise money for the January 6th insurrection in the U.S. One might think Donald Trump and the U.S. religious right were upset by anything that could stop the spreading of their social conservative freedom agenda. However, we think the real reason was because they don't want these crowdfunding platforms reined in. They want to use them to increase their donor base in Canada and around the world to fund their legal battles, upcoming elections and future insurrections. What can be done to regulate crowdfunding platforms to stop such blatant interference? Good question. I don't know the answer to that yet, although I, 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 I'm pretty confident that governments, federal and provincial, are looking at crowdfunding platforms to answer that very question. 
Uh, Marge Andre from Richmond Hill, Ontario. Like so many Canadians, I've been trying to make sense out of the trucker convoy, and I can't. I've been asking who's donating all that money. And so wishing it could get redirected to some people in need. The burning question is now, after you, after your uh, podcast this week, what are the reasons that the American far right would fund what is happening in Canada? Well, dial up yesterday's podcast with Steve Schmidt um, on Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth with Bruce Anderson. Uh, Steve Schmidt, you know, a former uh, senior Republican campaign strategist, ran presidential campaigns. Uh, he has his thoughts on that. I mean, listen, the investigations are still going on as to where this money came from. And some of the early investigations, uh, there's no doubt, as money was coming from the U.S., a good chunk of it, uh, from the money that was coming from outside of Canada, most of it was coming from the United States. But how much of it was coming from the far right and what their intentions were, uh, that's still unclear. But that doesn't stop Steve Schmidt from theorizing. And you should listen to his comments last night. Or yesterday, on yesterday's podcast, the, the Wednesday, Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth. Donna Lockhart from Ennismore, Ontario. The last thing I learned through all this is there are a selfish group who put personal freedom of choice over their community. Then there is a community-minded group who say, I will set aside my selfishness for the greater good of my community. I'm proud to belong to the second group. Man will only survive by taking care of others. That's Donald Lockhart's view. Uh, I got a couple of pages stuck together here. There we go. Uh, Kathy Haig in Toronto. I have a question that's been bothering me. Why does the media not report on the antics of Ford's daughter, Krista Haynes? That's Premier Ford. She's a very public and rabid anti-vaxxer, front and center, advocating for natural immunity. Her husband has been fired from TPS. I'm not sure what that is, Toronto Public Schools. Not sure. For not getting vaccinated, which she is very angrily vocal about, and lately has been very prominent, waving F. Trudeau flags and demonstrating in support of the truckers' occupation of our country's cities and border crossings. For that matter, it seems to me the media is very hands-off when it comes to Doug Ford himself. All right. Um, and she's she does make a, this point. The media has no such compunctions about the prime minister, for example, reporting on PM Trudeau's mother and other family members involved with the WE charity, his vacations, etc., etc. So that's from Kathy Haig in Toronto. Uh, Kathy, here's the way I look at it. It actually has been reported about uh, Premier Ford's daughter. Not a lot of time spent. It was even mentioned on this podcast a week ago during a good talk, I believe. Um, I think Bruce brought it up. But look, his daughter, any child of a politician has the right to have views on any number of subjects. And, you know, Krista Haynes isn't the Premier of Ontario. 
she's a private citizen who happens to be related to the premier. But she has a right to say and believe what she wants. Um, and as, so as long as it's kept in context that way, uh, that's the way it's reported. Uh, as for Ford himself, I mean, there's been a lot of <laughs> a lot of been challenges to come on, have a news conference, get out there, answer questions about your position on some of these things, and quit disappearing. That's been a kind of common uh, view in the in in the media, in the Ontario-based media about Doug Ford, and it's been the same about some other premiers in the country who disappeared at times during the pandemic. Premier Kenny disappeared a good chunk of August. But for the most part, he's kind of out there trying to explain his position. Kate Wilson, Kathleen Wilson, Kate Wilson from Toronto. She has a whole series of questions. I'll try one or two. Why is the trucker protest ongoing in Ottawa when the Toronto and Quebec City protests dissolved? Well, the Quebec City protest dissolved. Sure hasn't dissolved in Coots, Alberta, on the border with the U.S. Hasn't dissolved in uh, Windsor and Detroit. Hasn't uh, dissolved in Winnipeg. Uh, certainly hasn't dissolved in Ottawa, as you point out. And the Toronto one, at least as of this moment, seems under some, or at least the police believe, the possibility that it could start up again. Ottawa has been the main protest point. No question about that. It's the one that's received most of the coverage, both nationally and internationally. And as a result of the Ottawa protest, it appears other protests are going to start in different countries, different parts of the world. I hope those who organize those have a clearer message when they talk to the media about why they're doing what they're doing than we've seen so far uh, in Ottawa. Why hasn't there been violence like the January 6th USA incident? I can't answer that question other than to assume that both sides at the contact point are being very careful not to provoke violence. Now, others, if you're a resident of downtown Ottawa, you probably think it's pretty violent as it is. Maybe not hand-to-hand combat like we saw on January 6th, but it's been violent in the terms of the impact it's had on the way I live. What's it going to take to end the occupation in Ottawa? <laughs> I, I don't know. If I had the answer to that question, um, I probably would be thanked by everybody. And depending on who you talk to about what they want, I mean, some of the things about what they're demanding are never going to happen. Let's face it. So they may want to refine what their demands are. And you can't expect a government, any government, to negotiate with those who are holding a city hostage and demanding that a government resign and be replaced by what, who, them? What can we learn from the protests? Well, I guess when they're over, we'll make those decisions about what we can learn and what we have learned. I think you can go back to one of those earlier uh, 
letters that we got this week, one of the things we've learned is there's nothing that can replace calm, face-to-face discussions about issues. That's certainly not happening now. Um, Bonnie Hill writes, where is Bonnie from? Aurelia, Ontario. In my opinion, the lack of police action looks like support for the occupiers. The conservatives have shown support, and the police force are predominantly conservative voters. That's the assumption. People assume that. I don't know whether there's ever been any real data to back that claim up. When illegal acts were committed in front of the police, they looked the other way. The police cannot take a political stand. They must ensure law and order. Are the police in support of the occupiers? Are they trying to force political action by the prime minister? If yes to these questions, then the police action must be reviewed and the leadership must change. The police knew the convoy was coming for a few weeks. They had enough time to plan an outcome that would have prevented this occupation. The mayor of Ottawa said yesterday he has... He has... um, he, he believes in the police chief in Ottawa, and the police chief has his support. So if there's going to be a change in the leadership in the Ottawa police force, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but there's a lot of people demanding that, as I'm sure you've heard. I think any changes like that will come after this is over. It's not going to come in the middle of it. Robert Bjarnason. Wow, who knew? All we need is Pierre Polyev, the king of hyperbole and political rhetoric, to get freedom restored and put us back in charge of our lives. Vote for Pierre and you will be the boss, whether you own a business or a trucker or any other regular Jane or Joe. Double P will exercise us of the evil prime minister and his overreaching government. The Conservative Party is the answer to all our woes, and now we know it. I guess if you give a clown a horn, they will honk it. Sadly, it might work if opportunism is rewarded by tired or angry. Um, Okay, well, obviously this is not a fan of Pierre Polyev or the Conservative Party. I would just like Pierre Polyev, now that he's declared that he's in the race to sit down and answer some questions about what his actual positions are. Because so far, as far as I'm aware, he hasn't done that. Stephanie G. writes, if, if, if you see a sense of where these views are coming from, they're not exactly in support of the protesters. And I think that probably fits with the majority of Canadians, as we've seen in polling data so far. Uh, but not all. There's definitely there's definitely a significant minority who are on side with the protesters, and not you know, and and and, and some of these people are vaccinated, triple vaxxed. They're on side with the protesters because they believe that you have a right to protest. Anyway, Stephanie G writes. 
Uh, I am so angry at all these so-called protesters. This is an attempted coup, and we need to call it what it is. And Chantel's comment last Friday about the media was perfect. You can't report when it's a false, unclear narrative. Well, actually, you can report that it's a false, unclear narrative. And I think that's the point that Chantel was making. But beyond that, it's a little hard to say, you know, on the one hand, on the other hand, because the one hand doesn't make sense. Thank you for continuing this discussion in a civil way. We're trying. Uh, Jeff Stover from Thamesford, Ontario. There's an easy way for Doug Ford to end these protests without cracking one head. And, you know, I think it's... I'm glad Jeff wrote that first sentence because people tend to forget there's so much focus on Trudeau. Some of it deserved, but a lot of it not. I mean, most of the mandates that they are supposedly against are not federal, they're provincial. The argument is with provincial governments. Not the Trudeau government. Anyway, uh, Stover writes, there's an easy way for Doug Ford to end these protests without cracking one head. It should be well within his jurisdiction to make it illegal in Ontario to use a vehicle as a barrier in a protest. You can protest, just not with a vehicle. Insurance companies should be compelled by the province to cancel any policy for any vehicle used as a barrier in any protest. The police could gather license plate numbers of these offending trucks and make them available to all insurance companies. The transport ministry could also nullify plates and add a large fine to reinstate cancelled ones. I'm sure the action will break up this and deter any future protests, riots, and occupations being planned using vehicles. You need to mess with the offending driver's earning potential. As soon as you do this, the streets will miraculously clear. Well, it's an interesting idea, Jeff, and you can be a, you can I think you can safely assume that it's one of the areas that it be, is being considered. When they hit, they're hitting them up with uh, you know parking tickets and traffic violation tickets uh, by the hundreds, if not thousands by now. I'm not sure that does any good. Um, you know, it goes on your record, but you see a lot of crumpled tickets on the side of the road, just like you do at any you know parking meter. Um, Mark Arison has a long letter that's, uh, you know, challenges a lot of the earlier letters. And I haven't received a lot of them, but this one, uh, Mark's, is, is, is a good letter. I mean, it's thoughtful. And his view is uh, not the same as we've heard. Mark writes from Wallaceburg, Ontario. I'm an ardent defender of freedom, having faced live fire and attacks from people with all kinds of weapons. I was a frontline police officer in my younger days. It was once my job to enforce the law and maintain the peace and security of my fellow citizens. I survived and moved on to other opportunities. Yes, there are fringe individuals being obnoxious, loud, and vulgar here. A few, very few by percentage, acted out in shameful and disrespectful ways. 
We call these things isolated incidents in law enforcement. The police have video and statements and investigations will result in charges. This was and is a grassroots movement. What caused it to be a movement? Two years of poorly managed communication and enforcement during a global pandemic by all levels of our governments, municipal, provincial, and federal. He goes on, goes on quite a bit. But um, Mark sees this in a different way than a lot of our earlier writers have seen it. Public outcry, this is how he closes off his letter. Public outcry has finally begun and will continue unrelented until such time as our Prime Minister rejoins the free world. Like Boris Johnson emulating Great Britain, Ireland, France, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Japan, Cambodia, and Saskatchewan, to name but a few. This thing is over. I'm not sure it's over, Mark. All right. Here's the last letter on the uh, trucker situation. It's from Bill Hertha. For all the reasons you have so eloquently put on eloquent, I'm eloquent. Oh, thank you. Nobody's ever called me eloquent before. (laughs) For all the reasons you have so eloquently put on your recent series of podcasts on the subject, I have moments when I feel we should just Tiananmen Square, the so-called truckers protests in Ottawa and elsewhere. But this is a moment to take a deep breath and calm down. I went down to Queen's Park last Saturday, not as a participant, but as a, that's the Ontario legislature, but as a photographer. It wasn't quite what I expected. The announcer said there were 15,000 people there. I'll take his word for it, but there were families there with children. There were baby carriages. There were old and young. There were people holding hands, taking selfies, taking group shots. There were lots of flags. They sang O Canada. There were signs relevant to the mandates, but also a range of others from the religious to Trump signs and conspiracy theories. There were no trucks at Queen's Park. I saw only two blocking the intersection of Bloor and Queen's Park, which is a couple of blocks away. There were no trucks at Queen's Park because police didn't let any traffic in. What I was left with was a question. Is this about mandates or is this just about a lot of people letting off steam? We're all frustrated. Here's the issue, uh, the way I see it, Bill. You're right about the baby carriages and the families who were at that protest. It's exactly what I said before the Ottawa truckers once started, that those there will be those moments, and you will see those kind of people at some of these protests, just like you did on January 6th in Washington. When that started, there were families, there were mothers pushing baby carriages in the crowd. Well, we know what happened when things got totally out of hand. People tend to forget that. These things often start with a broad base. And then the, what some call the crazies take over. 
and it gets ugly. And that's been the fear all along on this one. But I think the point you're making is this wasn't just people directly involved in the trucking business. This was also a lot of kind of ordinary, frustrated Canadians, frustrated by the whole situation of two years dealing with a pandemic and the restrictions that have been placed on all of us. From when we can go out to what we wear to our kids in schools, all of that. Okay, that's it for the uh, letters on that front. I, I have a whole bunch of other letters as well. I'm not going to have time to read them all, but I will read some of them right after this. Peter Mansbridge here in Toronto on this day. This is The Bridge, the Your Turn episode for this Thursday. Uh, you're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks, or on your favorite podcast platform. And as we always say, we welcome you no matter where you're listening from. Okay, quickly some other letters. Peter Smith in Lively, Ontario. I have a few thoughts. Has there been any tracking of economic activity or output versus COVID rates? Financially, were we better off to shut down sooner, but for shorter periods of time? Did the economies of the maritime provinces suffer less than Quebec and Ontario? I'm assuming they did because the economic activity in Quebec and Ontario is so much greater given the population and the economic base. But I don't have the specific answers uh, to those questions. And I'm, But those questions, I'm sure, are going to be answered when we finally get through this and all the post-pandemic studies come out. Bob Podlasek from Central Illinois. He's one of our um, regular American listeners. And here's part of what he has to say. Dr. Isaac Bogach is a gem. If the U.S. had a spokesman with the political savvy he has, the situation would be different. He's a straight shooter, and I love listening to his take on the COVID-19 virus. I have a tendency to agree with him 100% of the time. You know, there's a lot of talk now that the pandemic is basically over and you're seeing, you know, prov- excuse me, provinces and cities, you know, closing down some of their restrictions and opening up again. If you believe that's the right take, then you better listen to Dr. Bogach from this Monday's, this past Monday's. Um, podcast because that's sure not what he thinks the last thing he wants to see us do is rush into believing we're back to normal Um, Albert Versteeg writes the question then is when will we feel comfortable to go back to normal in Albert's opinion that time will come when 95% of the 15 years and over of population has received three vaccines or more. In our opinion, that time will come then. That's going to be a while because we're nowhere near that figure yet. We're, we're doing really well in vaccines. 
but 95% of everybody 15 years and over, and why make the, the number 15? You know, kids are, uh, kids under 15 need the vaccines as well. Uh, David Arsenal writes, is this Ukraine war going to be an actual thing? I cannot shake the memory that the first Trump impeachment was due to a mere phone call with the Ukraine. It all seems very fishy to me as to why the mainstream media is so obsessed with Ukraine all of a sudden. Well, maybe it had something to do with the couple hundred thousand Russian troops that are on the Ukraine border and Ukraine asking for help from its allies and the countries surrounding both of those areas fearful that the same thing could happen to them. So you asked about tense situations earlier. That's a tense situation. But as Churchill used to say, talk talks better than war war. And there's talking going on. It's not a fake situation. It's the real deal. And if you don't believe it, go and ask the people of Georgia or Crimea. You saw the same thing play out to them, and nobody said boo. And the next thing you knew, there were Russian troops all over their areas. Um, Kelly Pratt writes from Guelph. Monday's podcast, that's the Bogotch one, was exactly what I needed to hear this week. I can't imagine what it's like to be in Ottawa just now, and my heart goes out to those affected negatively by the protest. Your conversation, though, with Dr. Bogotch reaffirmed the views I have regarding the efficacy of the vaccines, our responsibilities to continue to be careful, and how we should consider the future, not simply learn to live with it. Jim Herchak writes from uh, St. Albert, Alberta. A week ago, you read a letter from Jeff Bamford implying that nuclear energy emits CO2, which it does not. Nuclear power plants emit no carbon. Personally, I believe there is no realistic path to net zero without new nuclear energy construction, and I would love an episode of The Bridge in exploring the politics and misconceptions that are holding back this climate-saving technology. I'll look into that, Jim. And um, I don't know who's right in that discussion between Jim and Jeff, but I believe both of them are sincere in in explaining their uh, positions. But I'll look into it as a possibility for for a special edition. Heather Peters writes from Collingwood, Ontario. My whole household is triple vaccinated. Just after Christmas, we had a COVID infection as well. Very, very mild and we are good. With the new restrictions on testing, I was the only one who got proof through PCR testing of being positive. Now I feel we are restricted from traveling. I wouldn't need to be tested to return to Canada, but my understanding is others could still test positive three months after the infection. And I think what Heather's asking is, is that three-month thing real and uh, travel restrictions around it? Heather, everything's changing right now in terms of the travel stuff. And I I, um, hesitate to say anything today because it could change by, you know, later today or tomorrow or Monday. So I think, you know, the the best thing for you to do in this situation, phone your doctor. 
your personal doctor and get the advice of your doctor about travel and how you could be impacted by it. Um, Kirk Baker writes from Roslyn, Ontario. He's just read the book off the record. Bestseller. If you haven't read it yet, you really should. It's a good book. Um, I'm curious. The 2013 interview you conducted with Bobby Orr in Parry Sound did not make it to print. Um, Kirk, I did 20,000 interviews. They're not all in the book. <laughs> okay. Bobby Orr's name always enters the conversation when people discuss the greatest Canadian of all time. His hockey talent speaks to itself, however. Bobby has extraordinarily represented Canada and a great role model and humanitarian throughout North America and abroad. Mr. Orr has also unselfishly donated much time to children's charities, for example, Easter Seals. I'm not going to argue with you on any of those points. Bobby's a friend of mine, and we became friends after that interview in 2013. Um, we haven't seen each other since the pandemic. Bobby lives in the States, uh, but you're quite right. He, uh, he has spent a lot of time dealing with uh, causes in Canada and, um, and quite a bit in his old hometown of Parry Sound. Um, anyway, Bobby's a good friend, and I actually do have a story about, about Bobby that... Um, that I'd done an early draft for to go into the book, uh, but I'm saving it for volume two. Also a story about Carey Price, when you're talking hockey players. Um, but that'll be, for, uh, that'll be for another day. But uh, Bobby's a great guy. All right, last letter. Oh, I'm way over time here. Um, it comes from Mitchell McDonald in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I have an interesting anecdote I thought of and decided I would share when you mentioned you had been to China for the first time in 1976. My grandfather, I mentioned that the other day when I was interviewing Anthony Germain from Beijing about the difficulties of trying to cover these current Olympics. My grandfather, Alex McDonald of Glace Bay in Cape Breton, toured China in 1976 as well with the Men of the Deeps. Here's a brief quote from the Men of the Deeps website. In 1976, they became the first Canadian performing group to tour the People's Republic of China after diplomatic relations between the two nations were restored in 1972. I've always found this to be quite the accomplishment for my grandfather to have been a part of this and thought you may find this story interesting. I do for a lot of reasons. I can imagine, because I was there that same year, what it must have been like to arrive there at a time when you know, a lot of Chinese had never seen a North American before, and you became <laughs> this object of great scrutiny uh, when you were walking around outside. But also because I've been to a Men of the Deeps concert, and it's fantastic listening to those coal miners singing the songs of Cape Breton. Um, so it's a nice thought to have to close out this edition of the, uh, of the bridge, remembering men of the deeps 
All right, I'm Peter Mansbridge. This has been uh, the Your Turn edition, the Your Turn episode of The Bridge for this Thursday. Tomorrow, of course, Friday, good talk. Chantelle Bear, Bruce Anderson. <laughs> I think you probably guess what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. As we have done for the last couple of weeks, it's a topic uh, that just doesn't stop being worthy of discussion. And we'll do that tomorrow. So thanks for listening on this day. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours. Mm-hmm.